Welcome to the Unabridged Podcast. I'm Ashley. And this is Jen. Join us for bookish episodes and check out our website, unabridgedpod.com, where you can find lots of new bookish content to grow your TBR. Sign up for our newsletter to find out more about online book discussions and upcoming events. Find us on Patreon for extra unabridged content. Join us on Instagram and Facebook at Unabridged Pod and message us there or see our website to get plugged into the Unabridged community. You want opinions about books? We've got them. Hi, and welcome to Unabridged. This is episode 257. Today, we are going to be discussing books we recommended to each other. This is our 2023 edition of this, and we wanted to circle back to the ones that we recommended. Before we get started today, I just wanted to remind you that we continue doing Patreon. We appreciate your support so much on there. For as little as $5 a month, you get extra content. We always have a bonus episode that comes to our Patreon subscribers. So thank you to our bookish best friends who are on there. And if you haven't signed up yet, but would like a little bit more bookish content from us, please make sure that you sign up through the link in the show notes. Jen, we're going to start with our bookish check-in. What are you reading? I am in the midst of Amy Tan's The Kitchen God's Wife. And I I loved Amy Tan's The Joy Luck Club, and I've read some essays of hers. But there are a lot of her novels that I have not read. So this is one I've had on my shelf for a long time. And I decided to dive into, I have a a couple of her books on my shelf. So I I decided to read those this year. The Kitchen God's Wife is beautifully told. It is just as gorgeous as the Joy Luck Club. It is about, it does take on generations of women just as Joy Luck Club does. So in that one, it looks at mothers and daughters. And this one also focuses on mothers and daughters. So it begins with this sort of frame story of Pearl who was born in the United States. Her mother, Winnie, immigrated to the U.S. in 1949. And Pearl and her mother have a very fraught relationship. And they are close in some ways, but there are definitely a lot of divisions between them, and there are a lot of secrets between them. Pearl has been keeping the secret of her illness from her mother. She has MS and has not told her mother, even though she's known for years and years and years. And she is contemplating telling her when her mother's decades long friend, Helen, says she knows that Pearl has MS and says she's going to tell Winnie. And then it turns out that Helen thinks she's dying And has decided that she is just going to let loose all of the secrets she's been keeping, both about Pearl and about Winnie and about anybody else (laughs) that focuses on these. Because she wants to get it all off her chest before she dies. So then, and I was anticipating sort of a back and forth, but actually what happens is Pearl's story is the frame story. Winnie finds out that Helen's going to reveal all of her secrets. And so Winnie is like, I've got to get there first. So she makes this excuse, gets Pearl to come to her house, and then says basically, hey, I'm going to tell you about my whole life in China that happened before you were born, when I was married to a man who was not your father, and had other kids, and hey, here's my whole life. (laughs) And (laughs) so the rest of the novel has been this story of Winnie right before and during World War II. And... Yeah, she's just telling the story. She's in a horrible marriage. Her childhood, her mother left her when she was quite young. So that's part of it. And she definitely contemplates the effect that that has had on her life, not really knowing her mother past her childhood. Her father was quite wealthy, 
but and had many wives. But after her mother left, he sort of pushed her off onto another part of the family, which had ramifications. It's a brilliant story. And I really like that sort of oral history, that sort of storytelling mode of sharing her story. So I am loving it. It definitely made me eager to read even more of Tan's work. And yeah, that is what I'm reading. That sounds great, Jen. I have only read The Joy Luck Club of hers and loved it. And I've read that one more than once, but I I don't think I've read anything else of hers and would like to revisit her work. And yeah, that one sounds like a good one to do. Yeah, her nonfiction, some of her essays have been anthologized in different things I've taught over the years. And so I know her nonfiction is great, but it's been nice to dive back into her fiction again. Yeah. How about you, Ashley? What are you reading? So one of the books I'm reading is Allison McGee's Pablo and Birdie. I'm actually reading this with my kids. And this one has been on my shelf for quite a while. I think I probably got it at Green Valley Book Fair. And I'd heard good things about it and just hadn't read it. So this is one I have not read prior to reading it with them. And in it, Pablo and Birdie are... So Pablo is a boy. He's about to turn 10. And Birdie is his bird. And... (laughs) So Pablo and Bertie have had an unusual start to their lives. They live in a village, Isla, that is like a coastal town. On It seems like it's an island coastal town and is not specifically, you know, determined exactly where it is on the map. <laughs> but they live there with this sweet community that's very focused on tourists. And they live with Emmanuel, who essentially is Pablo's father. But they were discovered when Pablo was a baby, on the shore side. So he was found as a baby in a little, like, it was actually like a one of the inflatable swimming pools that, to- like, babies and toddlers play in. He had been tied into that swimming pool, and then he and Birdie, and Birdie was clutching his shoulder. They wash up on the shore. And Emmanuel takes them in. And becomes his father, but nobody, they all have these wild stories about what Pablo's life was like before he arrived on the shore. But no one, as far as we know at this point, no one knows what actually happened and why Pablo wound up in the swimming pool and how he wound up washing up onto the shore. So that had happened when he was a baby. While now he's turning 10-ish. They don't know when his birthday is, of course, but there's the time that he arrived. And so that's kind of what they celebrate as his unbirthday. And everybody loves to celebrate. I mean, you know, like a birthday. They love to celebrate things for him. But he has a lot of trauma related to that time. So he actually does not like all the attention and the stories and stuff he just wants to know the truth like he's at a point he's turning 10 he really wants to find out what happened the other thing that's going on is that everybody says that he washed up during the winds of change and that that happens once every 10 years and so there's kind of this feeling that this same seasonal event is going to occur and they have this saying about how during that time, fortunes are lost and fortunes are gained. And so he doesn't know what's coming, but has a lot of anxiety about what that might mean for him and for Birdie. In addition to the sweet community of people, there also is a group of birds. So Birdie is like very much part of Pablo's life. But then there are these other birds who are quirky, and they're all parrot 
ish. And so there are different kinds of parrots. And then one of them is a rooster, but he tries to pretend like he's a parrot. Okay. But the other ones, they do talk. And so <laughs> they have these like slogans that they always are using. And they're a big part of the community life. And then they also have like comments and interactions with the tourists, just like the people who work in the shops do. So that's all um, happening also. But Birdie, despite being parrot, uh, she's some kind of parrot. She does not ever speak of you know in any way. She does not make any sounds. And there's this legend of a seafaring parrot that holds all of the world's sounds from all time. And so th- there's like this whole big myth related to it, and all the tourists are always searching for this mythical bird. Nobody knows quite what the bird looks like, but they're all wanting to like find the bird of legend, basically. So those are the things that are going on in the story, and I'm loving it. I think it has a really tender and magical tone that I really am enjoying, but I am a little worried that I should have read it in advance (laughs) because I am not sure how things are going to work out. And I think that while, of course, I'm sure that there is a resolution of some kind, I'm not sure it's going to be the happy resolution that my children might be hoping Uh for. But I keep reminding myself that part of growing up is reading stories, some of which are moving, but not always super happy. Mm -hmm. So Again, that is Allison McGee's Pablo and Birdie, and I'm really enjoying it so far. That sounds wonderful. I was just talking to my boys the other day about the original fairy tale of The Little Mermaid, and I had been talking to some of my students right before school ended in June about watching Old Yeller. So yeah, there is something about those first stories we encounter when we're kids that do not end happily. Yeah, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Like, I vividly remember those experiences, but I definitely vividly remember both of those experiences. (laughs) That's how I feel about Where the Red Fern Grows. I vividly remember that experience. I don't think this one is going to be, like, gut punch, Mm -hmm. but I do think that it could be bittersweet. I think that potentially the bird, you know, birdie goes on Mm -hmm. or Pablo finds out some not great things about, I mean... He did wash up on a shore right. in an inflatable boat. That does not usually mean that something good happened prior. Right. So, so I feel like, you know, the, the setting is, is certainly <laughs> ripe for dealing with some harder things, which are part of life. Right. So, yeah. Anyway, we'll see. That imaginative <laughs> rehearsal can be. That, that's useful. right. That's yeah. right. That's a good point. And yeah, it, it is a great, it's very compellingly mm-hmm. written. And so they're both really enjoying it. So I'm trying to, my youngest, I'm trying to like ease out of needing pictures. Oh, yeah. So I'm looking for ones that my oldest is definitely wanting to read things that she hasn't read before. Mm-hmm. And it has to be like compelling enough. And she prefers ones that don't have tons of pictures yeah. because the storyline is more what she's going to be interested in. But then finding one that we can all read together is sometimes hard. So that's why I have a stack of them now that I'm like trying to work my way Uh through that I feel like are probably about right. But a lot of them I haven't read. But sometimes, I mean, that's fun. I mean, I remember that, too, that like it's fun to read with someone who also doesn't know what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. So So today we're going to be discussing, we're circling back around to the books we recommended for each other. This is something we've done in the past this time 
we recommended back in March. It was episode 249. I'll link that in the show notes. So if you want to pop back in and listen to which ones we recommended and why, then feel free to listen to that first. But today we are going to, we each have read the recommendation that we made to each other and wanted to share what we thought. So for Jen, I recommended Aiden Thomas's Lost in the Neverwoods. I knew that Jen really liked Aiden Thomas's other work that Cemetery Boys that we had read. And so I, and I had read this one and really wanted her to read it. It has a retelling component that I thought that she might enjoy. So what'd you think, Jen? Oh, I loved it. So, okay. So I should shout out that this episode topic was inspired by the Unabridged Podcast Reading Challenge. And so books, read a book recommended by one of your friends is one of the topics. So check there. And then Lost in the Neverwoods is a retelling of Peter Pan. So that that gave me another check, which is always very satisfying. (laughs) I can fill in more than one category. But yeah, so Lost in the Neverwoods is a retelling of Peter Pan. My expectations were sky high because of Cemetery Boys, which I loved so much. So I will say at the beginning, I was like, eh, I don't know. I don't know. Because yeah, I Buzz is never great for me because my expectations can really be high. But it didn't take long. It was like by chapter two, I was like, oh, okay, I do love this after all. And yeah, I just, it's such a creative, the, the thing I like most about retellings are the ones that can take the source material, remain faithful to it in the things that it's focused on most and the big themes and the big ideas and yet do something creative with them. So I think Lost in the Neverwoods focuses on Wendy, which number one, I think that's a really interesting shift that we're really focused on Wendy. And in this book, which is a modern retelling, Wendy disappeared, I forget how many years ago, with her brothers and she reemerged from the woods, but her brothers did not. And so that sense of grief and of loss when the whole book, you know, I'm imagining that the boys are off with Peter Pan somewhere and then Peter ends up coming into the outside world and the fact that he loses some of his magic when he's not in Never Never Land in the Neverwoods. I think is really interesting watching him go through that maturation process is fascinating. I don't want to give away the whole book. Yeah, I think Thomas is so clever in what he chooses to use and how he chooses to recast this in this modern world. And and then the fantasy elements are great. So just as in Cemetery Boys, I think he's inspired by these fantasy elements, but does not hesitate to take them. In Cemetery Boys, it was more sort of folk tales and mythology. And in this one, I would say, you know, Peter Pan is was written as a play originally. But yeah, so I just think it's such a clever retelling. It has YA elements. It's late YA. Wendy is just on the cusp of leaving her home. And part of her journey is definitely figuring out the direction that she wants to take, especially after having dealt with her grief and the grief of her parents. That part is very moving, seeing the way the whole family has mourned. So yeah, it it was a great recommendation. I will say I had it on audio and I had the ARC and I did choose to read the print. So I think you had listened, right, Ashley? I did. I listened thanks to Libro FM. And so I did listen to that one and the audio was great. But I could see that either, in this case, I think either one would be good. Yeah, so I think the format doesn't really matter. It's one that works in both. So yeah, it was a great recommendation. So thank you, friend. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, I think that I thought, like you were saying about the grief, something that 
was resonant to me is just that she was working so hard to move forward instead of, I think often there's a need to like cover over or move beyond instead of kind of sitting in the feeling. And I felt like a lot of the book was kind of about learning to sit in a space, even if the space is painful in order to bring about healing instead of always trying to cover over. Yes. So, yes, but yeah, I I really loved it. It was really beautiful. I think I read that one prior to Cemetery Boys. I think that's right. Yes. And he has published a couple of others since then that are still on my list. Sunbearer Trials, I think. And I, oh, yes. That one has gotten really good reviews, but I haven't read it yet. Yeah. So I have, you know, even more books on this list that I'm eager to get to now. So, yeah. All right. So, Ashley, I had recommended True Biz. What did you think of that one? Yeah, so I, Jen said in 249, but I just want to reiterate that this one is, I did listen, Jen recommended listening. And so I did listen. So in listening to it, the sign language, the American sign language that's used is layered on top of the spoken word. And so you actually can hear the gestures of the people using the sign language. And that was really fascinating. So I was really glad that you had recommended that, Jen, because I do think this is one where reading it in print would also be great. However, I think it's easy to lose sight of, as someone who is not fluent in American Sign Language, it would be easier to kind of not hold in my mind that a lot of the conversations are being spoken through ASL. And so I feel like the audio really helps you as the reader, like hold that in your mind, which I think is significant. But yeah, I absolutely loved it. I thought it was fantastic. I learned a lot. It was something that I did not know a lot about. And so I thought that was really cool. Um, But just to give a bit of a overview, it has several different characters who narrate the story. And in the beginning, you see it from the perspective of the headmistress at a residential school for deaf students. And she is distraught because three students are missing. Well, first, they think there's two who are missing. And then they realize that there's a third who they thought had been home, I think, ill. And then all of a sudden, they realize that third one is probably tied to the other two. They find three cell phones. And then they're like, oh, gosh, she's she's with them. She She's not at home like we thought she was. So that is at the beginning. And then from that moment, a lot of the story is working back from the prior events leading up to that moment. So it's very cleverly told. And the unpacking of what leads to that moment and what the students do, like where they go and why, I thought was fascinating. And a lot of what is at the crux of the story is about honoring deaf culture and recognizing that sign language is a language in its own right and that just like any other language, it has its own culture, it has its own components, it, it the people who speak it are united by it. And so there's a lot of power there, I think, in just like that exploration. So one of the characters, Charlie, has been deprived of learning sign language her entire life. They did a cochlear implant for her as a baby, which has been terrible for her. It has been very unsuccessful. She's had many, 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 many appointments, has always struggled 
to get it to work. So for some people, it is successful. And then for others, there is sound, but the sound is not the right sound. And they can't, and then that also any residual hearing that a child might have had gets removed through the process. And so she's just a great example of where those implants can go wrong. And how, because of that, because her family wanted that to be successful, and frankly, also because her mother is vain and has a lot of judgment and prejudice toward the deaf community, she wants Charlie to blend in. She wants her to be normal, quote unquote normal. So because of that, Charlie doesn't learn. Well, eventually her parents get divorced and that kind of opens up the doorway. So when we are seeing her, finally, she is with her dad. Her mom is still in her life, but they're, you know, they have a complicated relationship, as you might expect. And her dad is willing to learn sign language with her, you know, so they're really doing that. And then he gets her into the school. But it also is an immersion experience. I mean, she goes in and she's a teenager. All these other kids are fluent. And then she and of course, the teachers are fluent. And she is suddenly both learning that she could have had an entirely different experience in the world if she had had this available to her but also is very behind. And so, you know, she just, just like learning any other language, she is very lost by what is going on and has to play catch up, which is overwhelming to her. So there's a lot of different things going on. In contrast to her, we, we get to know a lot about the headmistress. So February is her name. She is a coda. So her parents are both deaf. She does hear. She is fluent in ASL, but then she has, she hears and speaks. And then finally, the other really central character is August, his family has hereditary deafness. So because of that, he is kind of legendary in a positive way at the school because his family has maintained this heritage through several generations, and he does not speak verbally at all. And so he really, you know, in contrast to Charlie, who has relied entirely upon verbal speech for her entire time until getting to the school, he has always relied on ASL. And so because of that, there is the school kind of pairs them together, hoping that she will not rely on her verbal language skills, but instead will start learning and really practicing the ASL, which is very effective. I think that's probably a good glimpse into the plot. But I think that a lot of what is going on and what leads to what is crazy at the beginning with them missing, it all has to do with what the larger culture values and what people think is the right thing. And again, I would use that in quotation marks. What is the right thing to do with people who are born deaf or hard of hearing? And I just, I mean, I learned so much. There are these little excerpts in there throughout that tell about sign like how sign language functions. I mean one one of the things like grammatically it's totally different, which I did not know at all. And so that was really interesting. It has a lot of what American Sign Language has in it is based on French because of like some of the prominent practitioners who were teaching it to other people. You know, so there's all this stuff about there was a part talking about how like British is very different from American Sign Language because, again, they have nothing to do with each other. It's not like English where they have the same roots and there's a few different words here and there. It's to- They're totally different because their populations are different and they can't, They were learned within those communities rather than in this broader sweeping strokes that some of our verbal languages have been taught. 
all of that was fascinating. I love linguistics. I just thought all of that was like so interesting. And there were some things that were just horrifying about decisions that have been made over time for deaf people by hearing people and how they were not represented in these communities where decisions were getting made. And then over and over again in history, the preference has always been to teaching people, trying to make them hear. It's always been about how do we make them part of hearing culture instead of recognizing that a deaf experience is going to be different than a hearing experience and then focusing on those as two different trajectories. There's been this like desire to try to make them hearing, which again is why the cochlear implants, there's a big debate about that. And in Charlie, we see how catastrophic that decision can be for a child. So I just felt like, oh my gosh, there's so much there that was so richly told. Yeah, I thought it was fantastic. I actually did want to share it. There's a quote from the author's note that I wanted to share. She says, today's prevailing educational philosophy centers on the mainstream approach, but at what cost? For many deaf and hard of hearing students, the result has been a veneer of inclusion without true equity. While society praises hearing children for being unique, Deaf children are taught that they are broken, a broken version of their peers and should invest all of their energy in trying to fit in. And I felt like that's exactly what you see in the book. It's just a representation of a hierarchical system that people want to act as not that way. And then it is valuing hearing over deafness and then, you know, at what cost. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I thought, yeah, I mean, great. Those are great observations, keenly told in a story that really brings them to life. So, so yeah. (laughs) So thank you, friend. I'm so glad I read it. I think it was fantastic. And I definitely want to read more books that center the deaf experience because it certainly opened my eyes to just the fact that it's something I know very little Mm -hmm. about. So, yeah. um, And again, that was Sarah Novick's True Biz. Yeah. It made me want to read more of her books because I know she's had others that I've seen around. I wish they got more buzz because I really thought this was absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, and just so different. I mean, I just think, yeah, it's phenomenal. And then also, I have not read anything Mm -hmm. like it. Yeah. So I felt like that was really significant, too. Well, anyway, I could gush more, but I won't. (laughs) I will hold back. But yeah, I'm so glad you enjoyed it. (laughs) (laughs) And it is one that was not on my radar. So that was cool, too. Well, as Jen said, this is great for the Unabridged Reading Challenge. We mentioned before, but I just want to say again, if you would love to have a book recommended to you, we are happy to be your bookish friend and make a recommendation. So you can just email us at unabridgedpod at gmail.com. We recommend for people all the time. We have a little form that you can fill out and we're happy to, based on what you say you like, we're happy to give a recommendation that then you can make your category Mm -hmm. for the Reading Challenge this year. To end today, we are doing our flashback to four years ago. This is September of 2019. Jen, what is something from September 2019? It was really weird looking back at September 2019 because it was the fall before the pandemic. So it really felt like we were just on this ledge we didn't know was there and things were going to shut down soon. So that was really strange. Personally, There were two things that stuck out to me. One was flag football. My son, my older son was in seventh grade and he was playing flag football and in the fall and he had planned to do it again in the spring and then the spring season didn't happen and then he aged out. And so it is, I mean, that was really, I I felt 
yeah, pretty sad at that moment. Um, it was also my last year as an ITRT, an instructional technology resource teacher. That was my last year. And then when I came back in the fall, I was back in the English classroom. So yeah, it, it really felt like the cusp of, I was on the cusp of all of these changes. My family was. So it was, it was a weird, this was a weird flashback for me. Yeah. How about you, Ashley? Yeah, I agree about that feeling of the retrospect here is really strange. So my oldest daughter was starting kindergarten in that fall. And so it was a crazy time that felt like a landmark event, but in a very different way than it wound up being. Mm -hmm. And so from that point on for her, her school years were disrupted until this last year, third grade. So, um, you know, she really was one of the kids who the start of their you know, of their actual like primary education was disrupted for mm-hmm. years and years. So yeah, crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also looking back, I, it was fun to see what we were doing on the podcast and to all the boys I've loved before was something that we talked about then a book to film. And I just loved looking back at that because I love Jenny Han series And I loved those adaptations. And so it's been really fun to think back to times when we did talk about adaptations on our main feed, which we've done from time to time. And we have a lot of those now because we do a lot more on Patreon. But it is fun to look back at some of the first ones that we did and us discussing those together. And yeah, I think that's a great one to, to think about with it because I felt like the adaptations are great in addition to a really phenomenal series book series. Yeah. I would watch those movies again. I think I watched the first one twice because I think I watched it on my own and then I watched it for our discussion. I can't remember now, but they were so lovely. They're just, yeah. I mean, it's not that they don't take on serious topics. They do, but they are so sweet and I just love those characters so much. Me too. It's a nice flashback. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you all for listening today. Again, if you would like a recommendation for a book to read, we're happy to do that. Or if you've had people recommend them and you want to share what you've read that was recommended, that's always fun to see and see how you felt about those. Thanks so much for listening. Do you have comments or opinions about what you heard today? We'd love to hear them. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at UnabridgedPod or on the web at UnabridgedPod.com for ways to support us. To get more involved, you can sign up for our newsletter, join a buddy read, or become an ambassador. Thanks for listening to Unabridged.